Okay, it is a blessing to be here. I was sitting there thinking it's a blessing to be together with brothers and sisters in the Lord and that we can just communicate together. And I appreciate, uh, Jaron, you directing our thoughts towards Jesus, the majesty of Jesus and who Jesus is. Have you ever stumbled and fell? Um, if you were by yourself, you probably, if you stumbled and fell, you kind of looked around and maybe said to yourself, uh, you know, I need to watch where I'm going. I need to be a little bit careful. Or, or if you didn't say it out loud to yourself, you maybe thought that to yourself. I can still remember when, how it felt when I was taking care of our chickens in our chicken barn when we lived at Good Springs. Some of you would remember that that barn, it was a shed type roof barn. And when I built it, I built it with a beam down the center. And it was, it was about two inches lower than my head. And I thought that uh, in building it, I thought it wouldn't be any problem for me to just duck my head and you know, just go about my business, whatever, whatever I was doing. Well, most of the time I did duck my head. And, but from time to time I would be in a hurry and I'd have my mind set on feeding the chickens. I'd have my mind set on catching a chicken or something, what, you know, whatever I had to you know, doctor a chicken or whatever it was. And uh, when all of a sudden, you know, it would just be like, wham, and I'd be on my knees on the ground and I wouldn't know what hit me. And uh, so and then I'd remember that I got to remember to duck my head when I go through the center of the building. So my neck would be stiff for a while and I'd, I'd usually have a cut in the top of my head. It'd be, there'd be a scab there for a couple of weeks and you know, my neck would be stiff and I'd have to go to the chiropractor and get that straightened out. And, uh, but anyhow, so life would go on and then several, several months later, it'd be like, wham, I'd be hit again on the head. I'd come into the house and I'd show Carmen my cut in my head and be complaining about my stiff neck. So I thought I would get smart and I painted the bottom of the beam fluorescent orange and, and it was very visible. I, I painted it real, you know, bright orange and everything. And, but the problem was I got used to the orange paint and pretty soon, you know, the life, as long as we were walking in there, every so often I'd hit my head on that beam and it didn't always knock me to the ground, but there were several times it literally Knocked, you know, just knocked me to the ground. So this beam, it was obvious. It was, it was unconcealed, but it was obvious. I should, you know, I, I knew it was there, but still, it was, whenever it hit me in the head or I hit it, it, uh, it was unexpected and it made me stumble on various occasions. Then here a couple of weeks ago, when I was helping Judson put his plumbing in the basement, we were getting ready for concrete. And we had driven some rebar stakes in the ground. We were marking off where the walls were going to be so that we could bring the plumbing up at the correct spot for the commode and the vents and all that sort of thing. We had a string stretched between the rebar and eventually we took the strings down because we wanted to dig some ditches and we didn't want to trip over the string. So we took the strings down, but the rebar, they, they were rusted and they were pretty well camouflaged in the ground. They were sticking up about about that far, so so we were working, and as you can ex expect, as we were as I was moving along from one place to another, my toe caught on the rebar, and I stumbled and I fell, 
started to fall, just about fell all the way to the ground. But Judge, he was working over here, kneeling down working, and I caught myself on him before I fell all the way. You know, I would have fell, fallen all the way, except for, like I said, Judson, he caught me. But that, that was a hidden obstacle. It was a camouflaged piece of rebar, you know, stuck in the ground there. It was, it was a hidden obstacle, and it was also very unexpected. And you might have guessed by now, but I'm going to talk about stumbling blocks. And what exactly is a stumbling block? The dictionary says that it's an impediment, it's an obstacle, it's something that gets in our way and it slows us down. Something we have to work around. You have to make a detour around it. So it, it trips you up and it, and it will make you fall. They can be obvious, like the beam in the chicken house, or they can be hidden, like the rebar stakes that were in the ground. There's uh, stumbling blocks, can be you know, they can be different like that. And it, it would be nice if you could just eliminate stumbling blocks, but it's not that easy. I, I wish I could just eliminate stumbling blocks in life. Stumbling blocks are a lot like sin. In fact, in many cases, stumbling blocks will be sin. And we know that sin's not going to be eliminated until the end of time. And so also stumbling blocks, they're, they're going to be with us for life. We're going to have to deal with them. Stumbling blocks are those things that Literally, they bring us down, however, how, however briefly, and then the next step that we take might be sin. Sin is often pictured as living in the gutter, um, a downward spiral, or we talk about living in the depths of sin. It's always, when you think of sin, we, we think of down. You know, it's, it's never, we don't ever think of sin as an upward spiral or that, that sort of thing. Sin is always more of a downward thing. And stumbling can often start that journey. We're not going to go there today, but I just wanted to talk briefly about uh, the, the picture. I just love the picture of Jesus and Peter. When they were walking on the water, as Peter took his eyes off of Jesus when he was walking on the water, you know, he sank down. And then Peter cried out. He said, save me. And then Jesus lifted him up, and Jesus' mercy and his love is, is ever-present. Whenever we stumble like Peter did there, his love and his mercy is always present. And he's instantly by our side, and he's going to pick us up. He's going to lift us up whenever we stumble. So in one of the recent scripture readings, this concept of stumbling blocks was brought out. And I'd like to begin there by turning to Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. So if you turn there again in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 16, verses 1 to 6, and I'll read that. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, oh, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 14, 1 to 6. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of all by them? Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, 
every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols, that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore, say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent, and turn yourself from your idols, and turn away your face from all, all your abominations. <clears throat> you know, they, their stumbling blocks, they, they were idols in their hearts. In verse 3 and 4, it mentions twice that the idols are causing them to stumble in their hearts. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of idols, I think of, I first think of more of a trinket type uh, object or maybe a, a larger cast type object like an idol. And then I also know that an idol is anything that takes first place in my, in my life. It's something we do or think about that receives our worship. And having idols in our hearts, I believe, is when we pursue anything with the intensity and the commitment that should be reserved for God. And I'd like for you to notice what caused them, them the, the children of Israel, to stumble. In verses 3 and 4, they both say it was a stumbling block of sin. You know, now, now, obviously, we aren't like the children of Israel, you know, or I should say, we aren't like the children of Israel, or are we? Remember, these idols, they were, they were in their heart, things that others couldn't necessarily see unless we mess up, so to speak, and others get a glimpse into the real life of ourselves. We need to remember the verse that says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. It's what, what's in our heart is what we speak, and that's, it's, it's what's in there. So when we think of sin, visible sin, like the beam that was in the chicken house, we think of murder, we think of adultery, maybe stealing, homosexuality. You know, we can see these things, and, and they are wrong. They are iniquity, and they will trip us up. They'll cause us to stumble. But what about the, the hidden sins, the ones in our hearts that no one can really see? like the rebar in the ground. These sins are just as bad as the visible sins. The heart sins, they'll trip us up just as bad as the, the visible sins, just as easily. So as you read on in chapter 16 in Ezekiel, it describes Israel's heart sins in more detail. So I want to read some of those in Ezekiel, this time in Ezekiel 16, verses 48 to 52. It talks about some of the heart sins of Israel and also Sodom. So I'll begin in 48 and read to 52. As I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom thy sister hath not done, she nor her daughters, as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy, and they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Neither hath Samaria committed half of thy sins, but thou hast multiplied thy abominations more than they. 
and hast justified thy sisters in all thy abominations which thou hast done. Thou also, which hast judged thy sisters, bear thine own shame for thy sins that thou hast committed more abominations than they. They are more righteous than thou, yea, be thou confounded also, and bear thy shame in that thou hast justified thy sisters. <clears throat> So to put it in our language, the hidden sins of Sodom, they, they were pride, they were laziness, they were gluttony, unconcerned for the poor and the needy. And these, along with all, with more visible, abominable sins, were Israel's sins. Verse 51 and 52 says that Israel's sins were more than Sodom's. So when we look at the stumbling blocks of the heart, it includes the sins of the heart that were mentioned about Sodom, and then more besides, there, there's more besides that. And idols in my heart, we might say, no, I know better than that. I'm not, I'm not going to let that happen to me. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 7, or 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7 to 14. Starting chapter 10, verses 7 to 14. And I'm going to read what Paul has to say, and then uh, we'll go from there. So starting verse 7. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink. They rose up to play. Uh, could be things of the heart right there. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of the serpent. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. So how did he fall? I think it very easily could be that he stumbled and that caused him to fall. 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to men. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will make with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I just want to thank God that he always makes a way for us to escape iniquity or sin. And, but we need to flee from it. Idols and idolatry are definitely things that we need to look out for as they will cause us to stumble. And if at all possible, to the best of our ability, I believe we should remove those idols and idolatry. We need to distance ourselves from it or from any stumbling block, you know, we need to remove ourselves from them. So what else should we be looking for as far as stumbling blocks? The second area to watch out for, it's sort of, <clears throat> it's sort of complex, but yet when you look at scripture, it's, uh, I guess you could say it's quite simple. Uh, simple, that is, if you 
called putting your own desires, your wishes and ambitions under the magnifying glass of others. It's simple if you ask, how will my actions affect others? Will my actions cause others to stumble even though it doesn't cause me to? I think we can say, no, it's, it's, it's not really simple. In reality, it's not simple. And yes, I'm, I guess I'm thinking about how we can offend our brothers when, when we cause them to stumble in their walk with the Lord, when we ourselves are the stumbling block. The Bible has quite a bit to say about it. And really, to be quite honest, it's, uh, it's not always easy to swallow when it affects you personally, but it, is a it can be a stumbling block. There's three scriptures that I would like to look at, but instead of looking at each one right now, I'm going to summarize one. I'm going to point you to another one that you can look at in Matthew 18, verses 6 to 9. And the third I'll refer reference later on. So I'd like to summarize Romans 14. Romans 14, it talks about offending a weaker brother because of the type of food that we eat or the day that we observe. And then it reminds us in verses 7 to 8 that we don't live for ourselves and that we are only to live for the Lord. We're not supposed to live for ourselves, but only for the Lord. In verses 12 and 13, we're admonished to not judge what others are doing and be critical of their actions, but instead we're supposed to look at our own selves and not judge others. It tells us that we're responsible to God as to what we do. And then in verses 13, it says that we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in our brother's way. Then it goes on to say in verse 21, that if it causes our brother in the Lord to become weak or to stumble, to be offended, that we shouldn't do that thing. We're not, you know, we're not even supposed to give an opportunity or for a chance for our brother to stumble. Life isn't about me. I know that's a lot of times, you know, we think, you know, we operate life around ourselves, but life isn't about me. It's about others. Remember, I said it's not simple, and it's not, but we need to look at it through the lens of God or what benefits God. Life is about God and his kingdom. And I, you know, like I said, I realize it's hard to live that way, but I'm convinced that, that we each need to strive and we need to aim for that. So I'd like for you to turn to 1 Corinthians 8, and I want to read those verses there. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It's uh, 13 verses that I'd like to read. And I'd especially like for you to notice the words know and knowledge as I read down through this. Now as touching things of now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, 
as there be gods many and lords many. But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we by him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which has knowledge, sit at meat in, in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through the knowledge, and through thy knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. So in verse 1, we have a contrast of two ways of handling the situation of eating this food. On the one hand, we can have the person that he knows that there is one God, and if, that if we eat food that was offered to idols, that in and of itself won't affect us or anyone else. So he feels free to do it. He feels at liberty to do it. Then on the other hand, you have the man that has knowledge and he has love or charity. And he's aware that not all people have the knowledge that he has. So in deference to those that don't understand, he won't do something even though his knowledge tells him that it's all right. And out of love, he refrains so as not to offend the brother that feels it's wrong. I think that's what the gist of uh, chapter 8 there is saying. For example, I personally know of a man that didn't take part in communion for quite some time because the church he attended uh, served leavened bread at communion. It was offensive to this man, and uh, so as the church talked about it, they agreed to change the practice, and out of love, they served the unleavened bread so that he could take part in communion. In showing love to this brother, the church showed that they cared for him, that he was important to the body of Christ. And of course, with uh, showing love, the weaker brother, he needs guidance. He needs teaching from the more mature, stronger brothers. And the weaker brother also needs to learn to yield himself and to learn from others. It's kind of a two-way street right there. But verse 12 is pretty clear when it tells us that the stronger are sinning against the weaker brother and, more importantly, against Christ when we don't show love. So the example that is used, it's, you know, the example that's used in chapter 8 there is food offered to idols, but it, it could be a multitude of things. As verse 9 says, what we f may feel at liberty to do or we could say feel at liberty to go to, 
may very well be a stumbling block to someone else that's in a different place in their journey with Christ. We may very well be that proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. But I, I, I do want to be very clear that that no way should we ever compromise Scripture for the sake of others. You know, we shouldn't compromise Scripture uh, to give in to someone else or you know to to help someone for the sake of others. As Jesus said in Luke 17 verses 1 and 2, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he be cast into the sea than that he should be that he should offend one of these little ones. So there's there's several other questions that came up in my mind as I contemplated these scriptures and what they what they mean to me. Is the weaker brothers is it the weaker brothers responsibility to inform others that he's being offended or are we to be knowledgeable enough to see that we might be offending someone and just change on our own? Whose responsibility is it? You know, it would be nice if it would work work out that way, but in reality, in real life, I think oftentimes, you know, we're just honestly, we're oblivious to that we're offending someone else. We just don't know about it. That, that we're hurting someone else. And I, th I think the solution, I'm not 100% sure on this, but, I, but I, I believe this will help anyhow. The stronger brother needs to cultivate a spirit of sensitivity, while the weaker brother may need to share how he's getting bogged down, uh, how this thing that, the, that this other person, what he's doing or going to or whatever it might be, how it's bogging him down. He needs to share that. And uh, I, I just like to stress the word communicate or communication. I think that that goes a long ways in, in helping us work through these times. Then I thought of another question, and this one is tougher, at least for me it was. What if the weaker brother is using his weaker status to control the others in the body to do what he wants them to do? Because he knows that they're going to give in so that for his sake, so that he won't stumble. I think oftentimes self and liberty would like to stand in the way. But in the end, I believe love and knowledge has to win out for, for God to be magnified in the situation. So I'd like to now talk about three ways that we can be stumbling blocks to other people. Or The first way is going to be directed to us to call ourselves masculine. So it's going to be directed to us men. Before we go to scripture, I want to show you two toothpick holders. This first one here, it's made from wood. It's actually made out of coffee wood, Gary. Um, it was, it's from Costa Rica. My, my, one of my uncles gave it to my mom and dad for a wedding present. And it's been uh, been sitting around for a while. It's very uh, it's very durable, and I wouldn't be at all afraid to drop it. It's it's very strong. The, the wood is very strong. And uh, 
This other one that I have here packaged up, it's a, it's an antique. Let me get it out here and show it to you. This toothpick holder uh, belongs to my belong to my great great aunt Lizzie, which, if we want to really make it sound old, this would be Judson's great 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 aunt Lizzie's or Jenna's great 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 aunt Lizzie's. So anyhow, we got two toothpick holders here. Uh, this one's very old. Uh, this one's not quite as old, very durable. This one, the one that belongs to my great, great Aunt Lizzie, it's made of fine china. You know, I, I take great care to protect it. And I think my mom has over the years. Um, I take, you know, I protect it as much as I can. Most of its life, it's been in a china cut. Uh, safe environment in a china closet or a china ca cabinet. Both holders, they serve the same purpose. Uh, they're toothpick holders. And uh, this one is more delicate. It's, it's finer. And it needs quite a bit of protection. Dare I call it weak. Turn to 1 Peter Chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. There again, uh, notice the similarity, the language that is used in 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans, knowledge and weaker. This is where the rubber hits the road for us that are married. We wonder, how, how should we do it in the church? It very well may be that we should be practicing it at, it at home. For those of us that are married, by knowing what is transpiring in our house, that's knowledge by giving honor to and caring for our valuable wife. That's love. You know, the wife may be weaker physically, but this verse is not saying that she's weaker otherwise. Notice that it says, as unto a weaker vessel. We're to treat her like this valuable toothpick holder. You know, we take care of it, protect it, put it in a safe environment. We're, we're supposed to treat her like that. And how we relate with our wives, I think, is akin to the fellowship and the community of the church and church life and how we should relate to the weaker brother in Christ. You know, while it's, it's true that as a stronger believer, we might feel like we have the freedom to do something. We also need to act in love towards the weaker, that valuable, weaker Christian, sort of like this right here. We need to protect, we need to care for that weaker brother. So back to our wives, this oneness that is felt 
as we go through life together, men, the fact that my prayers will be hindered, I think is reason enough to make it a priority to, to know my wife and not to cause her to stumble. You know, the same principle, like I said, that we use to have a healthy marriage, I believe it, we can also use it to apply it in church in our relation to others. And another way that we can be a stumbling block is by not teaching what the Bible says. In Luke 11, verse 52, it says, Woe unto you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, and ye entered not in yourself. And them that were entered in, ye hindered, or ye caused them to stumble. And I think the more that we know about the Bible, the more that we study Christ's life, the more we know how to respond, the more we'll know how to respond in the unique situations that are going to come our way. So let's study, let's pass on our passion for the word, let's teach others what we've learned. And it very well may be that the best way that you can encourage others is by living it out, just by being an example of what you've learned. You might not have to say a whole lot. And though it's not mentioned specifically as a stumbling block in the Bible, discouragement, it can affect us in a big way also. We often see Jesus encouraging those that were sick with words like, be of good cheer or be not afraid. Discouragement, whether it's from the way things are going in your life, the circumstances resulting from mistakes that you've made or the most common uh, cause of when we become sick, Discouragement, it will rear its head and we can easily become discouraged at those times. And discouragement then causes us to stumble in our walk with God, to lose hope and to be despondent. And while it's not a place where we want to stay, it's from those times of discouragement that some of the biggest areas of growth can be seen in our lives. It's, it's from those areas of discouragement. And I want to read some words of encouragement to you from Psalms where David, he was discouraged. He was mistreated and he was suffering. So turn to Psalm 73. I want to read a couple verses there. Verse 2. <clears throat> and you'll notice right away that David was discouraged here in verse 2. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well, well nigh slipped. Now let's skip down to uh, verse 23 to 28. Now read that. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterwards receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. You know, God, he cares about us. 
He is our strength as we go through times of discouragement, and we will have that from time to time. But like Jesus, we as fellow brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility to encourage those that are struggling with being down. And that brings me to the last thing I'd like to talk about, how to prevent causing our brother to stumble. You know, I've already alluded to it, but when I was talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and I'd like to turn to one more scripture in uh, 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter two, verses seven to 11. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I think we'll stop there. So did you catch what verse 10 said? To paraphrase it, it says, when we love our brother, we are doing what Jesus would do, giving him no chance to stumble because of our attitude. We need to remember that Christian love, it's not a feeling, it's, it's a choice. We have to choose to love our brother, otherwise we may very well be the cause of our brother stumbling. It's a very weighty matter, pun intended there. If you don't understand a pun, turn, think again about Luke 17, verses 1 and 2. You know, as we walk with Christ, he's by our side. He sees every stumbling block, every, every stumbling block that's concealed or unconcealed. And he helps us over the stumbling blocks. He helps us go around them. He might lift us up. Or if our toe does catch on the stumbling block, he's right there beside us. He's there to help us as we cry out, as Peter said, save us. He's right there.